When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dear Colgate, I love that you love that I love being at home. You even let me whiten my teeth from home. Because you know how I feel about getting up from my cloud couch. The Colgate Optic White LED Kit gives professional-level results in just 10 minutes a day for 10 days when used as directed. And that's why, Colgate, I want you to meet my parents. Because ever since meeting you, I've been living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Good evening, everyone. Once again, it's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope everyone's having a good day. Killer hornets are amongst us, supposedly. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But apparently they were spotted out like in Canada and like the state of Washington. And man, do they look fierce. They look crazy. Look, They look like jerks, if I had to say so. The stinger on that thing itself is enough to scare a village it's just uh unbelievable not only do we have the pandemic now we've got this these hornets that are and at least in some part of the united states i I may be at the point where i may just never leave the house again but we will see what happens with that hope you're staying healthy hope you're staying busy hope you're staying social we have another episode a really interesting episode that I've been wanting to do here for a bit. And I'd like to welcome in Mark from playlisterblog.com. You can find him on Twitter at playlisterblog. A really unique concept, a really unique idea about the days of yesterday with playlists and mixtapes and what they meant to you and how they you know, create a memory or how they were like your your partner on a road trip. You know, you put the burn CD in the car or you put the mixtape you know, in the car and you go on your two, three hour road trip or longer in some cases and you listen to the tunes that you set up for that trip. It was a whole thought process back in the day. And it really connected with me because I was one of those kids and one of those people that used to do that. What's going on, Mark? How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? You know, doing as good as can be. You and I are both in Illinois, so we're kind of, you know, sharing the same type of reality. And, uh, you know, before we got on the call, we had a, you know, brief chat about just the differences and just, you know, what life is like right now. But, yeah, um, good as can be, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I just wish the uh, weather was a little bit more consistent right now. Yeah, that's the crazy thing, too. It's like we'll have two days in the 60s and then two days in the mid-40s to low 50s, and then, you know, tomorrow's going to be back up to 60, so is Thursday, and then it drops back down to the mid-40s again. It's just a roller coaster between April and now the beginning of May. Yeah. Well, getting into this, we always start with the same question every time we have a first-time guest on the show. And that is the essence of the hook rocks, which is like every rock song, 
has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked you on rock and roll. What was it for you? I was born in the early 80s. I have an older sister and a younger brother. I don't know when to start, but our, our cousins were older than us, so they babysat us. You know, our dad would drop us off in the morning at their house, and they'd watch us. And they were, uh, my oldest was probably a, a teenager. So, of course, what's on TV, MTV. You know, all I can think about and remember was, you know, us, you know, being, I don't know, six, seven years old, watching MTV, seeing those great old uh, animations they'd have you know, showing MTV and all the videos. But I, I think here it's, at least with the rock and roll, is Gabby Guns and Roses and Welcome to the Jungle. I just remember the start of the song, you know, five, six, seven years old. It's just, it's just something that stands out to you. From there, I know um, my cousin Mel was a big uh, Bon Jovi fan. And so, of course, you know, we listened to that. My other cousin, Kim, I remember when she started, she was the younger one, and she started babysitting for us. She had a um, VW Beetle convertible. I remember riding around one day, and she had uh, some Black Sabbath on tape deck. And so she popped it in, and we thought it was the coolest thing, just riding around four of us and just playing Black Sabbath, running errands. So I'd say that's kind of where, uh, where it started for me. Yeah, that's very similar to... You know, my journey, you know, into rock and roll, I had an older brother who was four years older than me, who introduced me to Journey and who introduced me to, you know, the Van Halen and, you know, whatever he brought home, I would eventually get around to listening to it, whether he knew it or not. And then I had an older cousin that later on introduced me to Led Zeppelin. Uh, You know, I had there were older kids in the neighborhood where I heard Iron Maiden or I heard Judas Priest or Dio or whatever it was. And then, of course, the MTV influence was huge as well, you know, whether it was with Kiss when they took the makeup off. And I remember when that Welcome to the Jungle video first came out. I remember when it world premiered on Headbangers Ball and how it fell flat when they first released it. Like, it just didn't do anything. It didn't resonate with anybody it didn't move anything. It didn't move any record sales for them. And then they redid it maybe like eight months later, seven, eight months later, I want to say. Maybe shorter. You know, everything's kind of fuzzy now as you get older. And then it just exploded. Mm-hmm. It just became this huge, gigantic hit. And the rest is history for Guns N' Roses. When did the mixtape, the act of putting together music, for either your friends or for yourself come into play for you? So around the same time, you know, I think that's something that was passed down from my cousins to um, myself and my siblings as well, because we would be riding around running errands uh, while they're babysitting us. They'd, you know, pop in a tape. I know at least for making it for ourselves at home, my brother and I shared a room, but we didn't have a, a stereo at all. Eventually my sister got one. But what we did have prior was what was called a My First Sony. And I have this in one of my early uh, blog posts. And you can see a picture of it, but it's, I don't know, maybe 12 inch tall. And it's got a speaker and a tape deck. It's this bright red, uh, yellow, and blue uh, device meant for kids. But what it had was a microphone. You know, we didn't have any money. We we're, you know, under 10 years old or, you know, whatever. So what we do is um, if we did have a blank tape, record off the radio if we knew our one of our favorite songs was going to start and so we'd have a recording of that song and then also we used to buy a lot of cassette singles i don't know why but i think that's just what we did they were cheaper i think when it came around to it you know we'd take um songs we recorded off the radio the cassette singles and when my sister finally had that you know dual cassette stereo we could then you know start making mixtapes i think that lasted uh for a while you know when I turned 16 CDs were really had already taken over so you know there really wasn't anything for mixtapes my first car did have a a tape deck for a few months before I had it taken out for a a CD player I think I made a mix or two then just to have something to listen to outside of the radio and then finally by the senior year of high school right as I was graduating one of my friends got a CD burner 
And so, uh, you know, I know I made a couple mixes with him and then probably not for another year later, which I think would have been around 2002, did, you know, I have the ability to make a, a burn CD. Well, that was, you know, the mixtape era, you know, before we get into burning CDs or burning music on one of those, you know, um, recordable CDs or whatever, you be able to burn it on them because that wasn't didn't exist at first either. That, that came later after CDs came out. But I remember mixtapes, the age of the mixtape, was essentially for you to share with your friends if they didn't have the album or if they didn't if they wanted to check it out, you know, where it was the original file sharing, if you will, of that era. It was a way to, hey, I got this new Megadeth album or I got this new Motley Crue album. Check it out. I just, you know, cord the new Motley Crue album on, on and you give your friend a Memorex tape or uh, TDK, you know, blank tape or whatever the the you know the brand was, yeah. And then your friend would come back to school either the next day or or the following day after that, and they'd have the new Motley Crue tape for you. It was a way to listen to music that maybe you were unsure of before you bought the album because I don't remember the mixtape ever affecting people from buying something. I think. What it was, at least in my experience, was people sharing music, and then if they liked it, they would go out and buy the album because they wanted the cover art, they wanted the experience of, you know, having it on display at their house or wherever it was. So I, I, I think there was that element to it. Now the mixtape was always used in in my memory as a way of conveying your feelings for someone you had a crush on or someone you liked or someone you were dating you know you'd put together these songs that you know that meant things to you to show how deep you were you know and to show how much you know you admired her or him or whomever and I just remember having to put a lot of thought into making one of those tapes it's funny you bring that up um, that's actually the uh, blog post I'm writing right now is my guide. You're making a mixtape for someone else. Yeah, I remember um, at least in like middle school for me, that's when a lot of us got into like BMG and Columbia House and the CD and tape uh, clubs. And, you know, you, you get a friend to sign up, you know, you get extra free ones or whatever. If you weren't able to get that one CD, you were able to get your friend to at least, you know, throw it on a tape for you. With what you were saying, it was a way to, you know, if you weren't able to get, you know, whatever CD or cassette at the time, you could always get your friend to at least burn it, record it one for you. And I remember, um, actually one of my good friends, it was probably seventh or eighth grade. And it was just some music had quite a bit of some probably early punk or not early punk, early to mid nineties. And it's some stuff I hadn't heard before. Also, you know, I grew up in the country, central Illinois, you know, our radio stations were pop, country, and uh, mainstream rock. Because we only had those types of influences, and if you had MTV, you know, you you were exposed to some things, but some things you just, you know, didn't get. So when my friend gave me this tape, it was a whole bunch of stuff I'd never heard of. You know, some I liked, some I didn't, but it was just, you know, great to get. It was, you know, it was, like I said, there were two types of tapes that you'd make for your friends. You'd do like the thoughtless tape, I would call it, where your friend would say, hey, can you get the new Guns N' Roses for me on this blank tape? Or can you do the new Def Leppard or whoever the band was? Or if it was a band that you were unsure of, like a Danger Danger or like a Sabotage or whatever it was, you'd put it on the tape and they would go listen to it, and then if they liked it, they go buy it. But then there was the thought process behind the mixtape. There was the the sequencing, which was very important to a mixtape. You know, like, what song do you want to intro with? And then where do you want the, you know, the end to be? Or what song do you want to finish, you know? Because it was like one giant thought you were giving someone. You were giving someone, like, a peek into your mind, and how you wanted to convey that was what songs you put on that tape. Oh yeah, incredibly important thing is the sequence of the songs. Like you said, you know, if you're making one just for a friend, or if you're making it for someone maybe that you're, you know, romantic with or hope to be romantic with, 
you know, you do have to understand that person and the songs that you're putting on there. That sequence of them is so important. You just, you know, you have to kick it off, you know, loud or at least with a purpose. So you kind of get your foot in the door and get, you know, them a little bit, you know, excited about what's coming next. For me, I usually kind of start it big, kind of either bring it up a notch and then step down a little bit and then maybe go soft for a little bit, then ramp it back up. And then you always kind of got to finish big as well. That was very important, right? I mean, you used to think that the mixtape was so important to the relationship. And maybe it was. I don't remember, and you know, because it's been so long. I don't remember if, you know, it was the end-all, be-all. But we had that thought in our heads that basically said, you know, to ourselves, well, this is going to make the difference. This is going to make her like me more or if it was a girl you know this is going to get his attention and you know I I got a lot of mixtapes and I made a lot of mixtapes and I don't know I, you know I, I I just think it was the thought process that you have in your head when you're a teenager that you want to show people what important songs are in your life or what these songs mean to you or how they mean or how they correlate to me thinking of that person or you thinking of that person. And I guess it was an easy way to communicate feelings. You know what I mean? It was, it was, if you were not good at communicating, the mixtape was like the perfect way to get your thought across or get your point across. Did a mixtape ever blow up in your face? Uh, I don't think so. I'm trying to... Now, again, if you're still doing mixtapes, it would have been like middle school because, you know, we kind of turned over to CDs pretty quickly. I don't think so. And I'm trying to... I was thinking about this the other day. Which ones have I made for people? Was there one to be romantic with or, you know was romantic with and I can only think of a couple and those were CDs and none of them you know blew up in my face I, I, I just cannot remember a single one from um, from like junior high or high school though yeah I, I think there was one when I was in junior high before I realized the sexual innuendos of <laughs> you know some of the songs that they were singing yeah. about you know I, like, like the, for instance I remember putting Love Gun on one of a, a mixtape, you know, the song by Kiss and you know, uh-huh. I thought it was the the equivalent to um what's the guy with the arrow uh on Valentine's Day? Um Oh, Cupid? Yeah, I thought it was the equivalent to Cupid, you know, shooting the arrow. So it was Love Gun. So you know, that was like my the first song and I guess the mother got wind of it or whatever and called my mother and and you know my mother was like what are you doing and I had to explain to her what my thought process was and then I think that was the gateway I think that was the gateway to the birds and the bees conversation with my parents oh you know I think my intention of making a mixtape for this girl I had a crush on turned into you know how women get pregnant and you know all this stuff and it was a complete nightmare for me was like so I remember not listening to Love Gun for about a year or two just because you know I thought it was you know you know I mean because you're like I think 13 years I was 13 years old at the time and um didn't I mean I was raised you know in a Catholic school so I didn't really you know have the exposure to you know that kind of things that maybe some other kids had at that age and I was really kind of innocent even though I was a little bit of a troublemaker and, you know, now when I listen to Love Gun, I just kind of laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> uh, that's great. Unintended consequences. Yes, yes. That just steamrolled into other consequences. You know, first there was the call from the mother. <laughs> then there was the sit down with the parents. And then it was just, you know, I was scarred for a couple of years after that. But, yeah, it was um, it was an interesting time because, you know, you had to have the dual cassette player for the boombox, one that played, one that record. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you had to have the good quality tapes, so you didn't want to mess it up or have it sound muffled or whatever. But like I said, it was a good way to communicate your feelings, 
to someone that you had feelings for. You know, I mean, you know, it's very difficult. You know, now they have, you know, Snapchat videos or Facebook Live videos of, you know, signs that say, will you date me and all that stuff. That, That never happened when we were growing up. It was, you had to get man enough to approach a girl and a really good way to do that in a soft way was, Hey, he's, these are these songs. And every time I hear these songs, I, I think about you, check them out, you know, and then you kind of give it to her. Then you just kind of hold your fingers and hold your breath for like a day or two until she listened to it. Yeah. You had to, you know, have the guts to either hand it to him in person or, you know, have a friend deliver it or sneak it into the locker or somewhere else they would find it, you know, and if you did that, you had to have a note with it. Right. So it was, yeah, it's a lot, a lot different. Um, the note was like the happy meal of mixtapes. It came with like two things, right? It came, you know, right. not, not it wasn't just a mixtape with songs. It was a letter about the songs and about the tape that you took the time to record. I guess the the other big question was would you fill both sides or would it just be one side or would you talk in between songs? I know there was cases where someone would narrate between the songs and connect them to one each other and how it related to that person, which is, you know, borderline maybe creepy depending on how you do it, but I remember those happening too as well. Yeah, I definitely need no narration. I would feel both sides just because that person's going to get to the end of side one and flip it over. If there's nothing there, it's kind of kind of empty. And that's an, another you know technical aspect is you had to know where you were on that first side so that you didn't you know start recording a song and they get cut off you know halfway through. Yeah, I think you have to have two or both sides filled. You're right, because if you did a 90-minute tape, you'd have 45 minutes on one side, 45 minutes on the other. And the worst would be if you developed a sequencing and the tape would run out and the last song you know, wouldn't finish because then it would screw up your sequencing. It would, it, would, it would screw up your thought process. So that was, you're right, very important to how it was laid out and how... You had to know if you were had a sixty-minute tape, thirty on one side, thirty on the other. It was it was a big to do. Yeah, yeah. And, and that last song is going to be important because that's the last thing they're going to hear. Right, right. Did you ever do a hundred and twenty-minute tape? Because that's that's a that's I don't a think climb. we ever had them. I, I remember this. I think the seventy-five and the ninety. Okay. Yeah, I um, remember do, you know, using either sixty or ninety minutes. A couple of years ago. I think my mom cleaned out my brother and I's old room and she must have gotten rid of all the tapes we had because we still had a stack of uh, the cassette singles and then some um, free demos they gave used to give out at OzFest and then I think a couple of the mixes too we never took them so I think she just got rid of them and so I have like no way of knowing exactly what I had. Yeah, I know there's a lot of tapes that I wish I still had that I don't have anymore. You know, just because it jogs, you know, the memory bank and it helps you connect with things that maybe, you know, you had forgotten about. And music has a very powerful tool in memory. And and having those mixtapes, you know, David Lee Roth said a really interesting thing, gosh, about seven, eight years ago about listening to music when it first comes out and loving a song and listening to it over and over and over again. Because that song has the ability to be a time machine. And if you listen to it, if you over-listen to it, I don't even know if there's such a thing, you have the ability for that song to take you back to that time and to smell and feel those memories more so than without music, I think. You know, every time I hear certain songs, it immediately takes me back to being 10 years old or 14 years old or 16 or 18 in my early 20s music more so than any other art form at least for me has a great ability that's actually why i started the blog i don't know i'm heading towards 40 i guess and it just kind of you know sometimes i reminisce and i'll throw on one of my old playlists from a burn cd and listen to it and i'll kind of just go back and 
or I heard you know a random song that I knew was on this one CD from 2004, and I just you know remember you know what was going on at that time. That's just why I kind of started the playlist so I could both share the music from those CDs and eventually playlists, and uh, you know what was going on in my life at the time. And it's it's really for me, but I kind of put it out there publicly just to put it out there. Well, it, I find it very interesting because it really, when I started reading the blog and remembering those times of making mixtapes or burning CDs, which is where the evolution happened, right? Like there was a point where you stopped making the mixtapes and you started burning CDs, you started burning playlists. And at least for me, when I was able to burn a CD with music, and create a playlist and you had maybe 14 songs to 16 songs on a CD. For me at least, I was older. I was out of high school when that happened. So those became kind of my road trip buddy. You know, like I if I was going to visit my friend out in Maryland or if I was going to visit my friend out in Michigan or wherever I was going, I was really into doing road trips you know, by myself, you know, going to Nashville or going to Pennsylvania or wherever I was driving, Iowa. And I would make sure I knew the time that it was going to take me to get there. And I would compile an assortment of discs with different songs to kind of lead me on my journey that I was about to take. And I love that because I it, it just, you know, you'd be, because sometimes you hear a song differently than you when you're in a car and you're on a road trip and you're driving through the country and you're seeing cool stuff, it changes the whole dynamic of the song than listening through headphones, staring at the ceiling, or reading liner notes. Oh, definitely. You know, I remember doing a Michigan trip and I had recently bought the Pete Yorn CD, Music for the Morning After. And I had made all these burn CDs, but I brought that one with me because I really hadn't dived into it yet because I just bought the record. And it was the first record I bought based on a sample that you could listen to at Tower Records. And it used to be where you'd, you'd, they'd have the discs that you could sample and they'd play like 30 seconds of each song. And I bought it based on that. And I remember listening to that on the way up to Michigan. But then on the way back, I had burned all these Black Crows uh, CDs with different songs from the Crows and I remember just re-listening to those songs and hearing them differently than I had before yeah I, oh. go ahead oh yeah um, you know one of my most recent posts is um, goes over uh, my spring break 2004 and I couldn't go anywhere really because I had to work but I had like a day off, I decided to drive to Nashville to find Johnny Cash's grave. I'm pretty sure I had crafted the songs to go on the CD right before I left, or within the week or so before I left, and I made sure, you know, a couple were just road trip songs or songs about traveling. Uh, like, it's got the Johnny Cash version of I've Been Everywhere, um, Arlo Guthrie's City of New Orleans, um, and a couple others, and it just, it gives you that feeling when you're on the road, and you know you have those songs lined up, and you're waiting for them to come on. And it it, it is like you said, you know, just the perfect thing for a road trip. There, there. When you're driving, right, you're concentrating on what's going on the road. You're trying to, you know, enjoy the scenery at the same time. You can't always do both. And you know, when you're going to visit a friend, and you've got your tunes with you, and you've got you know the playlist going, it's kind of a celebration of what you're doing. It's kind of you know, especially. When I was doing the road trips, I was in my early 20s. I wasn't yet married. And, you know, I was, I had friends that have gone to school at different parts of the country or moved to different places. And it was just kind of a way to celebrate the independence that you were experiencing, especially, you know, now that you were out of the house and now that you were kind of your own person and having that celebration. And the music was there to help you just enjoy it more you know it was it was definitely important the music was always important on a road trip it was very very strategic too is how you listen to it you mean okay i'm gonna listen to this on the way up there on the way back this is what i'm gonna listen to so it was just always you know a constant theme 
whenever. And then you do sometimes you'd want to go to on road trips just so you can make playlists. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it, with a road trip, you don't know the radio stations in other areas of the country usually, and so you're either trying to flip through the dial. But if you have you know your CDs ready to go, or nowadays you know your uh, phone um, to plug in, you just get it set and just cruise without having to worry about it. Yeah, I think what is missing today, because I've gone through the, the evolution from mixtape to burn CD, now to having your phone play the music for you, you know, streaming or set up uh, a playlist in that way. Because there's, I think there's less thought the way it's done now, because you really do have, you know, endless time, right? Because I remember I did a road trip with my son several years ago, or Four, I don't know, five years ago, four or five years ago, where we went to Iowa, to Colorado, down to the Four Corners, up through Utah, over to Yellowstone, to Mount Rushmore, to Minnesota, back to Illinois. It was like about a 10-day road trip. And I remember putting like 500 songs on this playlist. And my rule, too, on a road trip is you never skip a song. You never skip ahead. You got to play it through. And I just remember, though, having all these songs and just throwing a bunch on there. And I'm just the thought process, for me at least, was different than burning a CD or making a mixtape. How about for you? Uh, I, I think it depends. And um, it, it depends on... Um, you know, if I'm aware that I'm going somewhere and you know I want to make you know something new, I'm going to take the time. One of my posts from February, you know, I had to, uh, you know, I, it's how I make a playlist is the name of the post. In February, I had to go to Indianapolis for a uh, friend's bachelor party. You know, I knew I was going to have uh, three hours uh, drive, but I still uh, have a set of rules or my philosophy I have for my playlist. I still try to keep them at about 80 minutes, which is what a burn CD used to be just because, um, I don't want an endless playlist, I guess. I want to have a set number of tracks that remind me of the experience. And so, because I knew I was going on a trip, um, you know, I, I took the time, uh, prior to maybe two weeks or so and started crafting what I wanted to have on it. Now, other times, um, um, you know, if I'm just, you know, I'm going to go, you know, I have to drive down to my mom's house or something that's three hours away. I might just have a large mix that I just hit, you know, shuffle on for the trip because it's kind of a routine trip. Um, so it, for me, it depends. Do you have any rules when you're doing a road trip or you're driving somewhere in a long distance like myself, you know, there's no skipping of the song, got to play it through. You know, I have those kind of, weird funky rules if it's one of the playlists that i took the time to craft i'm definitely not skipping anything but if it's one where it's just you know from a whole bunch of like favorite songs if i feel like i've you know heard it too much recently or something like that then i'll skip um it's just that um and this is going to be kind of probably weird to people who aren't i guess into playlists that much but i have you know i talk about my philosophy and um just a canon of playlists, if you will, you know, ones that are, I keep as like my official playlists, which, you know, are the ones I can kind of look back on and tie those to a time in my life. And those are the ones I'll write about. Yeah. You know, it, again, it just depends on what type of uh, playlist it is. Yeah. I think that's why there was a connection with burning CDs or making the mixtape is because, you know, you had to put, not that you don't put thought in with making a, pl- a playlist, you know, with, with iTunes or whatever you, you know, with your phone. But, you know, when you were going on a road trip and you brought four, five, six burn CDs with you, you know, or two or three or whatever the case was, you know, you, you were creative enough to kind of sequence those songs together and you kind of wanted to hear how it all played out, you know. Whereas, and it gave you incentive to not skip anything. 
I remember making tapes right. by one band and making it like an album. So if like Van Halen with David Lee Roth, you know, has what do they got? Six albums, you know, up until 1984, I would make one album with 12 songs and that would be like my Van Halen album. So I would choose these songs to fit on this, you know, this mixtape or this burn CD and how they were sequenced together was very important, you know, or whether it was Guns N' Roses or, you know, Pearl Jam or Soundgarden or any of those bands. It was just interesting. I always loved doing that, trying to find the songs that fit together, 12 songs that fit together from multiple albums. Yeah, I I like that idea because, you know, with um, some bands, like, you know, you get their greatest hits album, and it's really like some of the greatest hits and then some random tracks, but they're not always your favorite songs. So if you're able to craft a playlist of, you know, your greatest hits for a band, you know, it's a, it's a great way to make a playlist, you know, cause you have exactly what you want expanding their entire collection or like you said with, a you know, the David Lee Roth years, just that one time period of a band. Oh yeah. Those are great. Yeah, and it's just, again, like you said, I totally agree because these record companies would throw out these greatest hits. And yeah, there were some great songs on there because it is their greatest hits, but there was always like, oh, how come this song is not on? This is totally better than this song. And then it would inspire you to make like a tape of like side one, you know, with five songs or six songs or whatever it was, and then you'd have side two. And then on mixtapes, you'd write your own liner notes on it and whatever, and you know, it was, at least I got that involved in it. And I really enjoyed, because it allowed you to be creative with someone else's music and allowed you to kind of make it your own, even though it wasn't. Right, right. Yeah, I know um, there were a couple of times making those and just, you know, explaining why they're in the order and stuff. And it's only a justification to myself, but, you know, sometimes it's stuff that I want to look back on. Right, or, you know, there's been a couple albums that I've purchased over the years that I've always felt the sequencing was completely wrong. Like I'd, I'd be looking at the, you know, the CD and I'd be like, who, who chose the order of these songs? You know, like there's no like, cause really a se- the purpose of sequencing is it's like a plane, you know, the, the album is like an airplane. You get in the airplane and you take off and that's your intro. You know, the first two songs is like your takeoff. And then you get into autopilot and then you coast. And you want to keep that level throughout the album. And then you land at the end. So it's important that the sequencing is done right. And I guess it's a lost art now because it really doesn't matter in a lot of cases because EPs are now a lot more prevalent than they were. And with the CD now, you've got 14 songs. And, you know, it doesn't matter what sequence they're in. You're going to listen to it. You're going to shuffle it. So there's, it's really an afterthought a lot, a lot of times for, for many albums that are put out. But I just remember having that feeling, you know, like, oh, I could do a better job than this. And then I would make my own CD with my sequence. And... I always felt the album sounded better and was a better experience as a result of it. <laughs> Did you ever do that? Yeah. No, I've never done that. Um, but I definitely know what you're talking about where it, it just isn't right. And you can, you can sense it like you're halfway through and you're like, why, you know, is this song here where it should have been, you know, like the first track on the album. Um, but yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about. Nothing was worse than an album ending on a wrong note you know like that would be so unfulfilling for for you know a music fan to to be excited about an album to put it in you know the cd player in your car or the cassette you know in your stereo at home and be all into it and then at the end you're like i really don't like you know the way the songs were chosen there's some really good songs on it. And then you just try to reshuffle them in your mind and try to figure out a better way. 
And yeah, it would it would it would almost be at the point where I get aggravated. I'd be like, oh, how could they do this? This is completely crap, you know. So <laughs> it, yeah. yeah, it was so important. Sequencing was a, is a lost art form. It definitely, it 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 was huge back in the day. You don't really hear much about it. People really don't understand it. Um, you know, and a lot of times too, you know, it's the same thing when you go to a concert. The sequencing of songs on a set list is. Again, the same type of airplane example, you know, taking off and landing. Right, right. Yeah, because you'll get through, go to a concert and, um, you know, the band has played the set, you know, the encore is going to happen. And then sometimes after the concert, you're like, well, where were, you know, song A, B, and C? Those should have been, you know, in the set somewhere. And, you know, at least in you know, your opinion, it would have made the the concert so much better if those had been in the set list and at certain points throughout the set. And it just, yeah, it's frustrating. When you talk or when you write on your blog about making mixtapes or burning CDs and you relive this, right? I mean, you relive these memories. What's that process like in terms of writing, in terms of connecting with the past, your past, through music? So I start off with re-listening to the CD, or if it's a newer thing, a playlist, and just um, kind of thinking back to that time. Um, you know, I, I have a spreadsheet that I keep that you know has all the you know the playlist, the song, the artist, the month, and the year it was created. Um, and so I, I know when it was from, and I'll usually grab a photo album and kind of flip through it just to kind of remember some other things that were going on at the time. And then I'll make a, I'll make a short list of, you know, the, uh, uh, the things going on in my life that I want to hit on during the, uh, blog post. And then also, um, if possible, tie in, you know, that to the music on the, uh, CD or playlist now and show like kind of where some of the inspiration came from. If there is some inspiration, there are definitely some throughout um, the ones I've talked about so far on the blog where there's direct correlation between what was going on in my life and what songs are on a playlist. That's kind of the start. And then I just kind of, you know, from that short list, fill in the details for the listeners who haven't been out there yet. It usually starts off with me going through that time period and then at the bottom talking about the playlist itself and the songs, either maybe some interesting um, items about the music or how I feel about it now. And then also I'll include a uh, link to a Spotify playlist. That's, that's the general way I do it. It must be, you know, an enjoyable experience too to kind of have that outlet to write about Memories, because that's essentially what you're doing. You're writing about the music, and you're writing about memories. And what's really cool is that you know when you do look back at some of the old playlists that you did, and some of the burn CDs or mixtapes or whatever, you kind of see your growth as a person, kind of what you're listening to at that point in time, you know, versus maybe a couple years prior or a couple years after. And for a music fan, I think that's so important is you know evolving to. Liking you know new music, although and still enjoying the you know the music from your past, that's an interesting dynamic too in having this blog that you do. Yeah, I I, I look back at some of these and I'm very critical about what I put on some of them, and um, some I'm you know to, to go back to song sequence real quick. There are a couple. I think one is Weekend in Charleston where. It's got some great songs, but the sequence is just off. And so, you know, I'll criticize that now. And, you know, looking back, trying to remember, you know, was I really listening to that that much? Or was this kind of a, um, something that was thrown together at the last minute before going and visiting friends at a, you know, different college campus? Or, you know, was this something I thought some more of? A lot of the early ones kind of start to, you'll see, I'll criticize them for, being against rules that I have in my philosophy now, and I'll point those out. You know, you know, having a song on more than one playlist, or having uh, you know multiple songs by one artist on a playlist. When I get further along, because I'm only probably about uh, 
a year into uh, this, um, you'll see the evolution of the music on the playlist, how it f- starts to focus more on specific genres or that I was listening to at the time. And also, you know, um, on occasion, what songs were popular, although I, I tend not to do that so much now. Yeah, you know, for me, thinking about my musical taste, I mean, obviously I started out rock and roll, hard rock, heavy metal, and as I got older, you know, especially, you know, during the 90s when you had the grunge movement replacing all those bands that, you know, graced the the screen at MTV, you know, and then when that went away, because the grunge movement really wasn't around that long like... right you know, 80s rock was, if you consider, you know, even though I consider 80s rock to be like in three different categories. But after that period, there really wasn't a lot of rock and roll. There really wasn't a lot of rock music. So there were bands like Counting Crows, or there were you know artists like Ryan Adams, or as I mentioned, Pete Yorn, and a few others that kind of connected with me um, because I like the songwriting and the lyrics and the music and they were writing about different things and you know I was in a different place mentally than I was you know 10 years ago or when I was in high school and I've you know I will always come back to my roots which is hard rock and heavy metal but having an appreciation for those other artists during that time was important and you know feeding into that need for new music and new rock music was also important too as well. You know, as you grew, you know, from high school or from middle school to high school to college to, you know, professional life, did you notice a change in evolution of songs and in type and style of music, you know, as you move forward in your life? Oh man, have I ever, because thinking back elementary school, middle school, it's, it's what's popular, I guess, is what I listen to. Maybe a little pop country in there as well in middle school. And then it was almost like, not immediately when I got into high school, but probably around sophomore year, you know, I bought the Black Album. And then I also got this, um, it was a CD of Extreme Championship Wrestling intro music. And a lot of it was covers, uh, metal songs by other metal and punk bands those two kind of got me into metal and so for the rest of high school it was all just pantera sepultura uh soulfly a little bit into the new metal and then it was almost odd that i was in the national guard and so i went to basic training in um october of 2001 and i met a guy there who was from new jersey and he'd grown up only on like hardcore punk like you talk about going to you know hardcore shows where they're doing, you know, mosh pit dances with like picking up the change and, you know, windmills and stuff. And it was a metal mosh pits I'd been in had never, I'd never seen that in Chicago or um, when I'd seen them in St. Louis or Peoria. And so um, there's a whole different side of music where, you know, hardcore is not terribly far from metal. And then from there, all the different shades of punk. Um, And so I think when I got back from basic training and, my uh, advanced training, um, you know, I got into um, more of the punk stuff. And from there, you know, was into um, alt-country Americana. There was some reggae I got into at some point. And then, you know, nowadays, you know, I listen to everything, but it still kind of is all shades of different types of punk, you know, hardcore, post-hardcore, emo, um, just straight-up skate punk and then also uh, the all country Americana, um, you know, stuff like Drive By Truckers, Lucero, Jason Isbell, and then I still listen to metal sometimes. But yeah, man, there's you're really kind of looking back, see the evolution of yourself and what you're into. Lucero is one of my favorite bands. I love seeing those guys live. Those guys are just incredible. Yeah, I've probably seen them five times. I think uh, last at Riot Fest last year. I think the first time I saw them, it was either in Bloomington, Indiana, or it was at Otto's downstate. They were just absolutely, was it, down, was it, Otto's is in what? Um, is it Champagne? Uh, um, I know the Canopy Club is there. I don't know about Otto's, though. So. 
I forget where the where the town is. It's, it's been years since I've been there. But what about the name for the uh, for the blog? You know, how did you come up with that? I mean, was it just a basic name, or you know, what the thought process was with it? I just it's about playlists. I decided to come with the moniker playlister, and then I, I tried to see if playlister.com was available. It wasn't. The people who owned it wanted like thirty two thousand dollars for it, and there's no way I was paying that for something I'm not planning on to make any money off of. So playlisterblog.com was available for $13 from Google. So that's just the short of it. Well, Mark, I thank you for doing the episode. You know, a great topic, one that I think music fans, rock fans forget about how it was growing up. And I appreciate the time and I appreciate you coming on. Oh man, thanks so much for having me. I enjoy you know the podcast so much. It's in my weekly rotation. I hit different ones each day, and I love it. I love that you have so much content, and it's coming out all the time. Well, part of that is inspired because of the quarantine. You know, I, I was just thinking, <laughs> I was just thinking the other day. I'm like, man, when life gets back to somewhat normal, am I going to be able to maintain five episodes a week? So I think I may have set up a precedent for myself that I have to maintain, which. I'm going to have to learn how to manage my time to do that. So it's, uh, but no, I do enjoy doing it. And and it's all about the content. It's all about subjects that people will listen to and find interesting. So I appreciate the kind, uh, kind remarks. You're welcome. Once again, everybody, that's Mark from playlisterblog.com. You can find him on Twitter at playlisterblog. Great episode, great uh, conversation, really enjoyed it. Once again, I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope everyone's staying safe, staying healthy. We will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.